Well, the Christian good news, which we call the gospel, it's really simple, actually, and it starts like this. We believe that Jesus was crucified. That means he was arrested, condemned, stripped naked, spit upon and whipped to a bloody pulp for our sin. He took a wooden cross to a place of execution. His, his wrists were nailed to the side of the cross. He was then hoisted off the ground. Next, his feet and ankles were also nailed where he hung there for three hours and he died. His execution was that of a common prisoner and then he was buried in a stone tomb. Did you know that at the time of Jesus, around that time, thousands of prisoners were crucified in the exact same way Jesus was? In fact, Alexander the Great, a couple of centuries before, took over the city of Tyre, subdued it, and took 2,000 residents of Tyre and had them crucified. You might have heard the slave Spartacus. He rebelled against Rome, and in his rebellion, he was captured, and 6,000 of his followers were crucified as well, and they were planted upon the Apian Way to Rome so they would be humiliated and ridiculed. All of these thousands of deaths by crucifixion happened, but yet we only talk about one of them. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What was it about Jesus? The author, Fleming Rutledge, puts it like this. In Christ, if Christ was not raised from the dead, if he wasn't raised from the dead, we would never have heard of him. In fact, he was nothing but a lowly peasant. He didn't own too much. Tens of thousands were crucified. Of all of these, the name Jesus of Nazareth is the only one known to us, and we're still singing about him 2,000 years later in some little city called Kent City. Crazy. Why? Because he rose from the dead. And that's the end of the good news. He died for our sins. He was crucified. He was buried. And to prove that he indeed paid fully our debt, God let him rise from the dead. But the rest of the crucified, they remain dead. They are buried. And more than likely, I'll bet you a majority of them are eternally condemned because they are lost in sin. It's sad. Really, it's kind of depressing for those who don't believe. But because of one man, for you and I and those of us who do, there's hope today, like real hope. Hope that should change your depression and your despair into real joy. And that's what we hope happens today because we are going to meet two men who started out, I mean, they were depressed. And the end of the story is they were so excited. It says that their heart was burning inside of them. And my prayer is that, I pray this happens to a couple of you. The first service had a baptism that I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. A lady, even in January, said, I don't believe this gospel. I don't believe it. And then she had things happen in her life that were tragic, and she started to pray and got answered for prayer. And she said, in a day, in a day, she changed her life. And I'm hoping that happens. And so I want you, if you can, turn to this story in Luke, chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 17 to 32. It is known as the walk to Emmaus, or the road to Emmaus. It basically took place on the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus died on Friday. He rose from the dead on, the dead on Sunday. But the way that Luke writes about it is these, the ladies that followed him came with spices 
and ointment and frankincense to prepare the body in the tomb because the body was probably, in their mind, rotting and it smelled, so they want to put some ointment on it. They get to the tomb and nobody's there. The stone was rolled away. There's two bright angels that say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And the ladies can't believe it. They run to the disciples and they say, hey, Jesus' body isn't there. And the disciples said, uh, they kind of said it like this. They're just women. Don't listen to them. They're kind of crazy. That's what they said. Not us. Don't blame me for that. And Peter runs and Peter goes to the tomb and they're not there. Jesus is not there. So we come to this story where two men are talking about it. One's name is Cleopas. We don't know the other guy's name. And they're heading to a town 10 miles away called Emmaus. And as they're talking, a stranger walks up to them. But they don't know who it is. And actually it's Jesus who's disguised. And we're going to start in verse 17 with what happens. Follow along with me. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. And the ESV says, looking sad. The NIV said they were downcast, but the idea is that they are depressed. They're depressed. They're brokenhearted. Their hope in Christ is utterly dashed. So they're walking to Emmaus in just complete sorrow. And then so uh, Jesus picks up, he says, um, you know, what, what is this conversation about? One of them, Cleopas, in verse 18, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, well, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests... And our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And they killed him. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company, they amazed us. It's that the idea is that it's kind of confusing. We just don't understand what they mean. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body... They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him, or him they did not see. He wasn't there. And then it says, Jesus said to them, Oh, you fools, or oh, foolish ones. Or, you guys aren't too bright. And slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And verse 31 says, and their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. That'd be kind of cool. Gone. 
And in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? So that's the story we're going to look at. And it begins in sadness, actually. The idea is that they are broken. I would be too. They are really upset. And what, I, what I'm going to propose today is their sadness, it's, it's just like ours. I'll tell you, the last two years, I have never seen more sad and anxious people in my whole life. This anxiety, this, you know, people just, even some will say it feels like I've suffered post-traumatic stress disorder, where people can't even leave their house. They're terrified. I think that's how they felt. And there's three reasons they felt this way, and I think you get sad like this for the same reasons, and if you're not careful, this kind of thinking can destroy your life. It can ruin you. So I'm going to propose what I think are the three reasons they got sad. So the first reason we're going to find in verse 19 and 20. Look what it says. Verse 19, Jesus is talking to him. He's, he's asking about what happened, what happened, playing dumb. And they said to him, well, you, it's all about Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he was an incredible guy. Putting it in my, this is my version. This is the Chris Weeks version. He was an unbelievable guy. Like, this prophet, he healed many people. Rose people, you know, like there was a funeral of this widow's son, and he touched the son, and he jumped out of the coffin. He put the fun back in the funeral. You know, Jesus was amazing. <laughs> and then, verse 20, and then our chief priests, our rotten religious rulers, they delivered him up to be condemned to death. The NIV and other versions say, and they... They did it. They crucified him. So you could say, what makes them mad and sad? They. They. They are the reason for sadness and despair. If it wasn't for they, the world would be great, but they ruined it. They have ruined the world for you and me. In this case, specifically, it's the Jewish priests, the Roman authorities. But for us, we also have they. We have a group of they that is ruining our life. Who are they? I'd put it like this. They are dark forces and evil people who always appear to have the upper hand in this world. We're always talking about them. And we're always worried about them and are consuming our thoughts. And it's as if God can't defeat them. You know what? Those chief priests, Jesus was going to save Israel, but you know what? They killed. <clears throat> and in the back of their mind, they're saying, and God was too weak to stop them. Why doesn't he stop them? I know in my own heart I spend an awful lot of time letting they consume my thoughts. And if I let they, these dark forces and evil people get to me, they'll steal my joy. They can be a number of things for people. The government is they for many people, especially during tax season. The World Economic Forum and sinister oligarchs running this world through banks, credit systems, industrial war complexes, and Wuhan labs. They're they. And they're ruining the world for us. Putin, to some people, is they. Biden can be they. Trump definitely is they. Whitmer is they. The police are they. To some people, LeBron James is they. The Detroit Lions front office has been they for 35 years for Lions fans. <laughs> 
Do you know the church is they to a lot of people? Do you know what the church has done to me? I am they to people. That Pastor Chris. The way you can tell they are wrecking your life is that every bad thing that occurs ultimately leads back to they, and God sure doesn't seem to be stopping them. The problem with they is they will consume your thoughts, they'll consume your mind, your emotions, and if it wasn't for they, you say, this world would be a better place. I was, inter- I was reading this interview with Bill Maher and Bella Thorne. This happened last week. She's talking about how anxiety is destroying her life. She's really upset. So Bill Maher, ever the very nice guy, snarky guy, said, what is it with you kids and anxiety? What is causing all the anxiety? And she said, everything. The way the world is now, it's just constant. Bad, bad, bad. Everywhere you look, it's bad. In other words, I'll interpret her words, it's they. They're doing it to me. And if you let they get to you, it will kill you. There's a second thing that's making them sad, verse 21. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one. He was going to redeem Israel. That means he was going to take back all of the power Israel once had under David. He's going to wipe out the Romans. He's going to be the king, set up the throne, and he's going to rule. That's what he said. He didn't do it. And they continue, and they said, yes, and beside all this, it's now the third day. He promised he'd rise from the third day, but where is he? Where is he? And in verse 22, and moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. So what is this second thing causing their sadness? I'll put it like this. They had false expectations of God. They expected God would do things on their terms, and he didn't do it on their terms, so they're upset. Jesus and God did not come through the disciples the way they expected. He's supposed to wipe out the Romans, and the Romans wiped out him. See that? He failed. And then he's told he's going to rise up from the grave, and where is he? He's gone. Somebody stole his body. How could God let this happen to his son? The reason they're thinking like that is false expectations of God. We all have them. I mean, we all have them. They consume us too. How he should always come to the rescue on our time. And when he doesn't, I'm mad. I have a right to be mad at God because he didn't show up the way I expected him to. I'll tell you what, to be honest with you, I've been following Jesus for a long time now, and I have yet to win the lottery. I'm really upset about it. I go down Alpine to the party store, put my six numbers down there, and if I won the lottery, do you know what I could do with that money for God, I tell them? I could advance the kingdom with that lottery money, and I've yet to win it. He's failing me. And then you know what else drives me crazy? This gut for the last 10 years. (laughs) I've been praying he'd get rid of that fat. I go to the doctor. You know what the doctor tells me? You just got to monitor your diet and exercise. I think the doctor's an atheist. I really do. (laughs) It's not working. It's not working. Or, honestly, where where was God when my dad died? I miss him. It's been a long time. 
I really thought my dad would live forever. I'd give big money for my dad to see my kids. He hasn't. And I have a sister, Lara. She's 61 years old. She has the mind of a three-month-old baby. My mom's been praying for her for 60-some years. She still slobbers, needs her diapers changed at 61. Where is, where's God? Chris, you have false expectations. You could say it like this. We're sad because all my hopes and what I thought Jesus would do for me have been dashed. But it's on my turn. Do you notice that? My dreams did not come true when I put my trust in Jesus. Everything didn't magically change. Why do we think God owes us anything? I, was, I had a conversation with someone recently about their loved one's death. It was tragic. It was really sad. And they were mad at God for not keeping their, their loved one alive longer. And I asked them if this, their loved one was a believer, and they said, well, no, they didn't want to have anything to do with God, really. They never went to church. They loved the party. But I still can't understand why God would let them die. I asked them, if they didn't want to have God in their life, why is he still obligated to keep them alive? And this person said, because we're all God's children, right? And I asked the question, are we? Or is that a false expectation? Didn't, didn't John say something to all who believed in his name to them? Did he give the right to be called the children of God? Does it say that for everybody? False expectations. The third cause that made them sad is found in 22 to 24. It reads like this. So they're saying, you know, this has been the third day. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. The idea of amazing is they said things to me that made no sense. It's not like, whoa, they said things that are kind of weird. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, They'd even seen a, oh, they saw a vision too. Kind of kooky. But they didn't see him. Look at verse 10 and 11. Who was it? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women were with them and told these things to the apostles. In verse 11, the apostles heard the women, but these words seemed to them like an idle tale, like a fantasy, you know, like a myth. A myth. So what would be this third part that's causing Sadness, I think, I'll put it like this, I think those who believe in Jesus and talk about testimonies, other people think they're crazy. You could say it like this, testimonies of those who do seem to believe seem so far-fetched. Do you notice kind of weird people believe in Jesus, you know? Grandma believes in Jesus. Grandma never went to college. She didn't have a degree like I do in sociology. You know, or in the eyes of the world, believers seem kind of insignificant. It seems like needy people a lot believe in Jesus. Not the celebrities and politicians. You know, the real strong people don't seem to believe in Jesus. And quite frankly, aren't Christians crazy? Karl Marx would say religion is the opium of the people, which means that, in other words, people who believe in God are just looking to be fooled. Adolf Hitler thought Christianity was... A weak man's belief. In fact, he thought someday the absurdity of Christianity be wiped away by science. 
Today, the sophisticated and famous people love to say those who really believe the Bible, those who really believe this, the way God talks about marriage and other things and people who really adhere to this Bible, they're on the wrong side of history. So are Christians crazy? To some degree, yes. <laughs> Have you ever seen a man rise from the dead? But I believe it with my whole heart. But on the other end, no. And the reason I say no, what other thing do you have to hope for in this world? Honestly, I have a whole history of people that saw Jesus rise from the dead. 500 people after he rose from the dead saw him. And they wrote it down. And these are considered some of the most historical documents ever recorded. I'm not losing my mind when I believe. I'm not giving it up. But tell me, if I don't believe in Jesus, what do you got for me? Seriously, what do you got for me? Do you have any hope? Do you have any hope for your loved one who died of cancer or maybe died of COVID? What's their hope if you have no resurrection? What do you got? Stop all this nonsense that you're smart. What do you got that's better than Christ? Richard Dawkins, the English uh, evolutionary biologist, he, you know, he, he speaks like that because he's very learned. And he says, I'm against religion and Christianity because it teaches people to be stupid. That's what he says. I tell you what, though. I want to say, Richard, I don't care. We, I don't care how stupid we are because we all go to the grave and die. And when you're buried by dirt and maggots are eating you, you're not looking too smart yourself. But I do have something else. God is going to cause my body to rise up out of the grave. He promised me. But it's funny, 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, Did you know God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? So God wants to make wise people who think they can trust in themselves look foolish. Which actually brings us to the next part of the story. So we start really in verse 25. The men are finished venting their depression. You know, they give their three reasons woe is me reasons, and probably in verse 25, Jesus hugs them and gives them empathy and gives them their safe space, and probably a warm teddy bear to feel good. But he doesn't. Look what he does in 25, and he said to them, oh, you fools, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Where's the compassion, Jesus? You're kind of mean. Why would he call them fools? You know why he's calling them fools? They don't believe Jesus rose from the dead and he's standing right next to them. <laughs> and you know that happens to us almost every day. When we are overwhelmed by sadness, we're always wondering, where is God in our sadness? And he's screaming in silence, I'm right here. Trust me. Trust me, you could say it like this. What is true foolishness? True foolishness, according to Scripture, is when a human being relies on their flawed human reason. You know, they're out to get me, they. They're out to get me. Or their personal expectations. God needs to show up at this date, at this time. Or feelings. I just don't feel his presence. I just don't know about it. And what foolishness is, is when you put those things ahead of 
promises that are written in eternity. God says, I'll never, never leave you nor forsake you. And about seven times in the Bible, and we say, oh yeah, well, where is he now? Faith. Have faith. And when you don't have faith and you give in to these thoughts that start consuming you and depressing you, your soul deflates. That's why it says in the psalm, why are you so downcast, O my soul? So instead of being consumed by our faulty human reasoning, learn to soak and meditate on his word. It's funny, I ask people, do you have any good promises of the Bible? I haven't read the Bible in a long time. Then how do you know what God says? Watch what happens in verse 27. This is interesting. Because according to Romans 10, 17, faith comes through hearing and hearing of the word of God. So verse 27 and 28, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they are going. And so here's what verse 27 is saying. So he took the Old Testament, the Old Testament starts in Genesis and goes all the way to Malachi. It's this first part of the Bible. And he basically starts telling stories of the Old Testament and then says, you see these stories? They're about me. So for instance, I can imagine Jesus talking to these two guys saying, hey, do you remember the story of Noah's Ark? Do you remember Noah had this ark and all these animals went up the door and if all the animals got into the ark, they would be safe from God's wrath is water that was poured on the earth. And then when they went into the door, the door was shut by God and closed, so all those inside who entered through the door are saved from his wrath. And then along comes this guy named Jesus, and he said, I am the door. And if any man believes in me, they enter in Christ, and they will be saved from God's wrath. Huh. Or did you ever hear about this guy named Abraham? had a son named Isaac. God told Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this mountain called Mount Moriah. By the way, do you know what Mount Moriah is? It has another name. It's called Golgotha. You ever hear of Golgotha? And I want you to take your son and I want you to put wood on his back and have your son walk up to Mount Moriah. By the way, there was another son that walked up Golgotha with wood on his back. It's called a cross. And then when you take that wood, I want you to make it as an altar so you can sacrifice your son on that altar. And so Abraham was about to take his knife and plunge it in his son's chest to kill him. And God said, whoa. He said, I will provide the lamb later on. And did you know that that cross that he brought up, Golgotha, his son actually died and was the replacement of the other son. Did you know Abraham called his son Isaac, my dearly beloved son? Do you know God the Father, when his son was baptized, called him my one and my dearly beloved son? Huh. Or Isaiah. Did you ever hear of Isaiah? Isaiah 53 has this passage that said, like a lamb, he'll be led to the slaughter. This guy named Jesus comes along, gets baptized. Somebody says, John the Baptist says, behold, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He goes before Pilate and he doesn't even open his mouth. He stays silent and then he gets slaughtered on the cross. Huh. It's as if, it's as if God wrote the Old Testament. Think about that. 
That's deep. Anyhow, let's keep going. So what happens, let's go back to Luke. So what happens, verse 28, they started nearing the place in Emmaus, the house that they were going to. And they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It's toward evening, days far spent. Why don't you just hang out with us? It's getting dark. So he did. They were at the table. They're having dinner. And right before dinner, he takes the bread and he lifts up the bread. See if this reminds you. He lifts up the bread and he gave thanks. And it says he broke the bread and he passed it out. And then look at verse 31. And then their eyes, their eyes were open. They realized they've been with Jesus the whole time. The whole time. He's been there the whole time. You just have to believe. Then he vanished from their sight. I'd really love to see that. I wonder what happened. Poof. White mist went up. They're looking around. And then it says in 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn? Oh, I'm telling you, when he started taking out the scriptures and talking, my heart was on fire. So they go from sadness to unbelievable joy eating at the table, and they said, we're not our hearts burning. Has that ever happened to you? Where you have doubted, and you're not sure, then you start hearing the word of God, and it starts piercing you, and you're saying, I want that. I believe that. Here's, why are you so sad? Because some of you in here are really sad. You're depressed. Do you think they are out to get you? I mean, honestly. And when they are out to get you, do you think that God cannot overcome them? Do you? I think really some people believe, they say they believe in God, but when the world starts falling apart, when you start watching the news, it's as if God can't do anything. Yes, he can. Greater is he, greater is he, who's in me than he who's in the world. He just is. Or maybe, maybe God doesn't do things your way. Are your expectations wrong? It, what's funny is I think their expectations was he's going to wipe out Rome. What they didn't realize, he had to be crucified so sins could be forgiven. So in a way, it's, called the, it's like a wrestling technique when you... You kind of do a reversal, and then the, you think you're going to be pinned, but you let the guy's weight push you, and you flip him over and pin him. When Jesus went to the cross, it's as if Satan's got him. But in fact, it was the great reversal. He got Satan at the cross. He humiliated him. But the disciples didn't see that wrestling move. I think it's the same way in your life. Sometimes he crushes you to wake you up. Or do you just think you're crazy to believe? It's crazy to believe. Is it really? It's funny when I, <laughs> I talk to atheists, they'll, they'll always say this to me. They'll say, the Bible's full of contradictions. And I'll just say, could you show me them? What are they? Well, I just know they are. Well, what are they? Well, I've never really read it. Then how do you know? Oh. <clears throat> and by the way, do you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls? No, never heard about them. Then don't open your mouth if you don't know nothing. Crazy how people have opinions that are not standing on any rock. 
it's funny, I had, a, I had a conversation with my brother yesterday. My dad, when my dad was alive, he had a lot of crazy phrases. He was, he was a joker, but he'd say stuff that didn't make, he just like joke around. And he had a phrase called, it was like this, it's called the higher, the fewer. And he'd always say it, the higher, the fewer. And we'd say, Dad, what does it mean? He'd just say, the higher, the fewer. And I had, a, I had a little nephew that thought it was a cool phrase, and he got it tattooed on across his chest, the higher, the fewer. My brother Don's like, why'd you do that? You know, the higher, the fewer. And then, <laughs> well, what does that make? Yesterday, my brother texted the whole family. My brother does that a lot. Do you ever get those family texts where, oh, man, you're in the middle of a meeting, and ding, ding, and I got four sisters who ding you all the time. My brother's dinging us. And he said, I figured it out. I figured it out. And he writes on there, I figured out the higher the fewer. And here's what he said. The higher the obstacle, the fewer who overcome the obstacle. The more painful the pain, the fewer will go through it. The highest obstacle of all was death. There's only one person that overcame it. And those who overcome the obstacle become the ones that get the most glory. And sometimes the reason why God brings you through amazing obstacles is so he can be the only one that can overcome it for you so you will finally believe. If you can overcome it, you won't give him any credit. Sometimes the higher the obstacle, the fewer who really trust. For Jesus, the highest obstacle was death, and he can raise the dead. Another obstacle is your depression. He can get you through it. Or you're worried and anxiety all the time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Some of you think it's just crazy to believe this. And Peter writes, I didn't make these stories up. I saw them with my own eyes, and I heard them with my own ears. He's coming back again. The higher the obstacle, the fewer can overcome, and Jesus overcame death. The question is, do you believe that? I mean, do you believe it? Again, one of, my, one of my objectives as a pastor is I don't like to go through the motions. Like, I think sometimes people think pastors come up, and they have to say what they are saying. Like, the reason I'm saying this is if I don't say it, I won't get paid. I have a lot of people that say, oh, just try to say something bad. You'll see how long you last as a pastor. So I do it all the time. People know that. <laughs> but what happens, I think, sometimes is people come in and they assume pastors are supposed to say what I'm saying. I'm not saying this because I'm supposed to say it. I'm saying it because it's the only thing that saved my life. I'm saying it because I want to see my dad again. I'm saying it because this is true. It's true. So if you're here and you're a skeptic and you're wondering, eh, here we go again, what else you got? What, what else you got? Show me. I've asked that to so many people, and they don't tell me anything. Oh, I got, I got, this, uh, I got this Buddha guy. He doesn't really live. Well, I got this elephant that has eight arms. Elephant that has eight arms? I got Muhammad that chops people's heads off. Really? That's what you got? What do you got that compares to Jesus? I'm telling you, there is no 